Well, good morning, TVC family. You have me another week in a row. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Eric, for the cheers. No. Um, so glad to be with you again. Eric and I actually swapped some things around a couple months ago because uh, uh, my wife, Joy, is eight months pregnant and I was scheduled for later this summer. And my conversation with Eric said, well, I'm in, man, but I'm, I'm a wild card. Like, how would you feel about a potential middle-of-the-night call uh, Sunday morning that uh, I actually won't be preaching because I know exactly where I'm going to be? So he decided that instead of that possibility, we would switch it up and I'd be here again with you. So good to be with you again. Um, I meant to say this last week because I want to commend you. I want to commend TVC uh, for your extension of invites to your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, your community, uh, because at CareFest a couple weeks ago, um, across all the campuses of our church family, you had like by far the highest percentage of congregation that showed up to serve the community. So give yourselves a round of applause. Um, it's not a competition, but you won. So that's good. Well done. Um, right, Joel? It was like far and above. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So um, last week, we spent our entire time in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, right? We examined uh, Satan's temptations of Jesus, but that Jesus was led into the wilderness. And, and we used those temptations to examine uh, God's provision, God's protection, and God's promises, now today, we're just moving right into the ne that next passage in Matthew, which is Matthew 4, 12 through 25 that we just read. So Jesus has uh, finished this time in the wilderness, and now uh, like the heading in the passage is Jesus begins to preach. So he's come out of this time of uh, testing, temptation, there uh, solidified, ministered to by angels, led by the Spirit. Um, and now he's proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God, or that the kingdom of God is actually, as we see in our passage, breaking into the world, has broken into the world in a new way, okay? You all with me? All right. So I was reading this week in prep, thinking about this call to discipleship, okay? And, and what's a parallel of um, what I see in the church, what I see in Christianity, Maybe more so in the West compared to around the world, but it's this discipleship that maybe is half-hearted or that says, yeah, I'm, I'm in to follow Jesus except for here, here, and here, except for like the generosity Pastor Eric was talking about, except for loving my neighbor, except for fill in the blank. And I came across uh, this stat um, Related to vegetarians in the USA, okay? I know it seems like an I saw heads just raised. But um, so there are an estimated 4 million self-proclaimed vegetarians in the United States of America. Now, okay, who makes up the bulk of this category? I thought this was interesting. There's all kinds of subsets, okay? There's, uh, well, there were fruititarians, which actually only eat fruits, and then there's a larger group that eats anything but animal meats. And then there's all these other subcategories. I'm vegetarian but chicken, vegetarian but fish, vegetarian but 
chicken and fish. That's pollo pesco, pesque vegetarian. Okay? But what I learned is that actually about half, just under 50% of these 4 million self-proclaimed vegetarians basically live in this, I'm vegetarian except when I want to eat meat. Interesting parallel, right? Now, I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm not knocking vegetarians. I actually, my point is that it takes a lot of discipline. Like you go to most restaurants and you have all these pages of great options and it's like, here's our vegetarian menu. There's three things, right? It actually takes a lot of discipline. And so to be a self-proclaimed person of this diet, but actually not exercise the discipline, the this is in the entirety of my diet, I'm like, are you really a vegetarian? Like if that holds true, I'm a vegetarian, except for almost every meal of every day, right? So why do I share this? I think it's a really interesting parallel or picture of discipleship of following Jesus in our current culture. There are many. You, me sometimes, who claim this Christ follower but are holding back, are actually, yes, received the the call and are claiming disciple of Christ, but say, yes, I'm a disciple of Christ, except this one thing. Meaning, we may just follow Christ when it is convenient, not when it actually demands discipline or all of us. But what Christ calls his disciples to is everything, right? A disciple of Christ is Christ in all of life. So his whole way of life, his everything, early followers of Jesus were often known in the first centuries of Christianity, followers of the way of Jesus. So the passage we're going through today, Jesus has come out of the wilderness again. The devil at one of his, uh, Jesus' weakest moments, we know that Jesus didn't sin, did not fall to that temptation, so he lived that sinless life. He learned and leaned in new ways on God's provision, protection, promises. And now he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And along with that, we read he's calling his disciples, his closest group of, of followers for the coming years. With that, he's calling people to true repentance, to say, okay, the kingdom of God is here. It is advancing. It has come in a new way. So what I want to walk us through in our passage today, I have three distinct sections, and it's going to be a verse-by-verse, kind of like I did last week. I'll go section-by-section in three categories, okay? So I want you to see these three. The king... And all of these start with the king. Why? Because I want us to know it all starts with Jesus. I don't want us to fall into the lie that it all starts with us. No, it was Jesus. The king has a real kingdom. We'll read about that. How will we know that the real kingdom is here, has arrived? The king shapes our identity. And then three, we'll read how the king reigns over everything. You with me on those three? All right, so in your Bibles, whether you have those or the journals, whatever you're reading in, uh, follow with me. My first section, the king has a real kingdom, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. 
When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what I want you to see here in, in all four of the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of the Gospels, there are three terms that are used pretty interchangeably, okay? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or simply the kingdom. And in general, all are referring to the same thing, okay? There is this arrival, this, this sign of God at work, this, uh, this what occurs on heaven like Jesus prayed on heaven, at, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is broken into the world in Jesus in a new way, in the Son of God. Now, the question may be, like the crowds who were looking on here, like those Jesus is preaching to, okay, Jesus is claiming this, but how would people know? How would they know or how would we know that the kingdom has actually come near, that the kingdom has arrived? The answer is that there were promised, there would be, uh, through the prophets and in other ways, that there would be clear signs of this. So we would know. When these things happen, we know that the kingdom of God has come near. We read 15, verses 15 and 16. The light has dawned. Um, it is in this area that Jesus is ministering. Another example, I just want to give you examples to see Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Just listen to say, okay, listen to this for a second. This is how we would know the kingdom of God has come near. These things will happen. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush from forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. So the picture here is restoration. But what I wanted you to see, how would we know? Things would start actually being restored. The blind would receive sight. The sick would receive healing. The demon possessed, the demons would be cast out. This is the list of things that were happening. And I'm sorry, verse 23, what happened in our passage that we read about today? Jesus is not only proclaiming healing every disease and illness among the people. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. That's how we would know. He's actually showing the king has a real kingdom and it has come near. Jesus is traveling about and he's doing all of these things. So if that is actually true, what are we to do when the kingdom of God draws near according to what Jesus is saying today? Repent. Meaning, turn away, leave behind your sin, turn 
to Jesus. Turn to the king. Repent and come to Jesus, the way. Because it's actually proven, we know for a fact, the kingdom of God is here. And it is a real kingdom. Amen? It's not some, oh, just Christians wait for the next life. Wait for heaven. Wait for that restoration to happen. Yes, that is a part of the faith that we believe, but we really, really miss it if we go to church on Sunday and just say, oh, and wait, it's going to be so good, and we end it there. No. Here and now, in Christ, what will happen? The ill will be healed. The spiritually poor will become rich. The lame will jump for joy, we read in Isaiah. That will be the kingdom of God coming near. So repent, knowing that the kingdom of God has come near. Which takes me to my next point. Those Jesus calls as his disciples in this new kingdom. Who are taking part in the kingdom life with Jesus and the kingdom work. So follow along with me. We're in verse 18 now in chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So I want you to see a couple of things here, okay? I highlighted some of those uh, words for you. Through a lot of Jesus' ministry, we read that there are people who are following him, right? Great crowds show up. We get to next week when we're at the Sermon on the Mount. But I I get this sense All these crowds are following Jesus, right? But they're like temporary. At the end of most days, it's his faithful disciples. At the end of the great sermon that was many thousands of people, it was still the disciples. And so there's this like temporary, were they coming for the gifts of the king, but not the king himself? Maybe. Jesus still offered them. But I get this sense that they were kind of there like willy-nilly. We heard, we've heard about this, like he's a, he's a spectacle. They witness miracles, right? Uh, he gets in a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are waiting for him there, and he definitely still performs the signs of the kingdom, but it is interesting. It seems that these people are flitting about here one day, gone the next, or almost like we see at Palm Sunday and Easter, There's similar crowds that welcome Jesus to Jerusalem as king, who only a few days later shouted, crucify him. Interesting to take a look at. So these people, I would argue, are missing it. Who took the miracles, who saw them, but with that sighting or the experience of the kingdom of God, took it just as that. Here just today. Just a momentary thing. But what we read in our passage is this special call that amidst the crowds, amidst those who are in and out, Jesus has true disciples that he's calling, right? 
he sees Simon and his brother Andrew and says, come and follow me. He is very specific about what that following will look like. This is my point. Jesus shapes the identity of his disciples. It will reshape their identity. He even starts to do it here. He says, your identity will change from fishermen to fishers of men or fishers of people. They had one identity. God used part of that but said, I'm going to fill this out. I'm going to reset your foundations. You will be fishers for people. Jesus sees two other brothers, James and John, and he calls them uh, to the same thing. And I love this account because of the words used. I think Matthew, the author of this gospel, specifically used these words. Simon and Andrew, did they deliberate amongst themselves? Did they wait or say, we need to uh, uh, examine this really? No, we read, at once left their nets and followed him. We read that James and John, what? Immediately left the boat. So there's something that Jesus does here that he does in other places as well when he calls his followers, when he calls them to take on a new identity. Because while we could celebrate and, and say, oh, at once and immediately, actually, these uh, disciples would have heard of Jesus, would have known of Jesus, would have known of this preaching of the kingdom. And actually, uh, with John the Baptist through the region, preaching that, that Jesus was baptized, that, that this is the one John was proclaiming. So there, there was some context, there was some knowledge but something Jesus really does is assures them of his divinity. Before he calls them to have a totally new identity, he assures them of who he is and also of his love and care. What do I mean? When we read about the call of Simon Peter in the Gospel of Luke, there's some more details here. Jesus, actually, they've just come in and it hasn't been a good catch, right? It hasn't been a good catch of fish and Jesus says, go back out and recast your nets. And they go, well, we're, like, we're fishermen. We know the fishing's not good today. And Jesus basically says, go do it. Sends them back out to the waters. And what does Jesus do for these fishermen? He provides this massive catch of fish. So I want you to see what would, what would potentially be the number one way that Jesus could show his provision for fishermen. Fish. A big catch of fish. So he assures them of his love and care very specifically and then calls them to be his disciples, fishers of men. So this uh, this immediately left the boat or at once left their nets. It's not this blind, it's not this total unknowing thing. Jesus actually shows them the kingdom arriving. And over and over, he does that. A couple examples of when Jesus assures his followers in very similar ways. I want you to see this because I want you to look at his promises because the call to you and me is very similar. Jesus, as he calls us to be his disciples and throughout, doesn't just say, and good luck, and have at it. 
He does this same thing like fishermen in other places. In Matthew 28, don't go to the verse yet, whoever's running my slides, because I have highlighted something as a little surprise, right? But Matthew 28, high popularity missions verse. This is like the missions verse. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Great verse, right? Inspiring. Jesus says, go, you are sent, baptize all the nations. Now we can go to the slide. Thank you all for holding it back. I want you to see the before and after that. What does Jesus do? He says, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says, therefore, go and do this. He assures his followers of his love and care as he sends them out. And he said, and if they were to forget that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, he even finishes that command to his disciples with a reminder And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see that? Pretty cool, right? You ever seen how Jesus... So now as you read through the Gospels and you see as Jesus sends his people out to take steps of faith, take a look at what surrounds that call. You're going to find the assurance of Jesus. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The power of the presence of God, right? If you're not believing me, I have one more for you, okay? John 20. Similar time. Jesus is about to send his people out. And as he he says, the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. But look at what comes before and look at what comes after Jesus saying that to his disciples. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So they have this task, they have this assignment, but at the same time, he is assuring 100% before and after his love and care. Those who follow Jesus do. They have what is likely a disorienting break away from their quote-unquote ordinary life. Like we read about these two sets of brothers, they do leave their boats behind. Sometimes their livelihoods behind because Jesus means to reorient everything. He means to shape identity. He's redefining them, right? You will be followers of me. That will be your primary identity. I am in you. They won't be fishermen anymore, but they will be fishers of people. And once that new identity starts, they become people for whom the kingdom of God is real, right? And actually people through whom the kingdom of God advances. We just read in those two verses. The king arrives, their identity is reshaped, and it's made new. And so I want to pause here for you for a question today. Something has come to mind to you as I've said this. Something has come to mind or heart for you when I talked about 
a step of faith, okay? Hold on to that for a second, whatever it was. Is it a radical generosity? Is it serving in a new way? Is it a relationship to seek forgiveness, reconciliation, healing? Is it whatever you are filling the blank in? I want you to know that before and after that step of faith, Jesus assures you of his promises and of his presence. So instead of saying, yes, Kyle, but, I will just remind you again, part of your journey in faith or life is that Jesus has assured you of his love and care, which I know for sure is a sign calling you, calling me, out of a comfort zone. A mentor of mine says, Jesus here as he calls people and as he heals and he says, repent for the kingdom of God at hand. God, uh, Jesus comes and he comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable. So if you are afflicted and in need of the comfort of Christ, Seek Jesus in that today. If you are comfortable and need to be called out of that, I guarantee you Jesus does that too, right? So I have a, a, a video. Bill Oberlin, who's preached here before, Pastor Bill, sat down with a couple of our missionaries who I just, I just love. And, and they have this really cool uh, story of what God did and later in life and calling them on to uh, the mission field. So videos, a few minutes, just a bit of their personal testimony that I wanted to share as part of our preaching today. So take a look at this video. Mike and Peggy, thank you so much for taking a few minutes today just to sit down and talk. For our friends listening in, uh, introduce yourselves. We've been second career missionaries with Wheaton Bible Church since 2007. We served for about seven and a half years over in Greece with Hellenic Ministries and then in Panama for four years um, with Reach Global. I was born and raised in Wheaton, Illinois. So we left when I was 48 and Mike was 50. Um, Mike had seen other parts of the world, but during that time I was home with the kids. So um, yeah, it was huge. It was interesting to go from um, just feeling so secure in your own um, culture to a total different culture. So I've probably been going on mission trips short term for probably 20, 25 years before we got into missions. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming home all the time saying, Peggy, I think maybe God's calling us into full-time ministry. And I had always thought I was pretty confident and could get around, but not knowing the language or the money or directions was super challenging. You know, one thing I always tell people is that, you know, like the last, 14, 15 years that we've been involved in missions, it's probably been the most rewarding part of our life. The Lord has allowed us to be part of what He's doing. Just a couple of ordinary people. We don't have exactly. any great skills, but yeah. um, it's fun how God's been able to use what He's given us. Sometimes we look at other people and we think, yeah, here are some people who need some help and their lives need to be changed. Part of the reality is the Lord looks at us and says, yeah, that's true of you, Bill. 
there are some things I want to change in you. I think that's one of the greatest things about being a missionary is how God changes us. Yeah. You know, you go and you think at the start that you're going to save the world. (laughs) And um, sometimes I think us missionaries are the most broken people and we are the most, the people that God wants to fix Mm -hmm. the most. So it's such a privilege. He works and changes our heart. And I just see how this all fits together so well in how... He's gifted you, he's given you experience, you have skills and spiritual gifts to serve in this role uh, with Reach Global in uh, crisis care team. Talk about what this ministry is, um, what's the concept of this, this ministry, and tell us about your first assignment. Well, our first assignment is actually in Paradise, California. Uh, We're going out to an area that was um, hit really hard with fire. It engulfed the whole town, and um, I think 85 people died in this fire. Mm. It's kind of unheard of that, you know, a fire like that would kill that many people, but it really came onto the town really quickly. And Mm. so it's not only these people have lost everything, but they've also lost friends, they've lost relatives, they've lost their mates or even their children. Crisis Response was born after Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. And um, the team just went and ministered there and saw a real mission field that Mm -hmm. arrives in the wake of every crisis. People Mm -hmm. are wondering, they've lost everything. It's just like, where is God? How is this possible? Why? And it just leaves a place for a mission field. This is a long-term thing in cooperation with the local church, but yet you can really use and benefit from short-term teams. Yep. Oh, yeah. A lot of our process is through the short-term teams because really uh, people get excited when people from outside of their community come in and help them mm-hmm. rebuild their houses or their lives or just even willing to listen to mm-hmm. them, you know? And so we're hoping that, you know, we can get some GO teams that will come out and assist us in um, It's actually just the tools, you know, it's a tool. It's another tool in order to reach a person's life and and be able to make a difference, you know. So a couple things there, right? We can celebrate. We celebrate Mike and Peggy and their missionary service. But what really struck me as I watched their interview was when Peggy talked about her awareness of how broken she is and how in need of Jesus she was. So, yes, is there a call? Is there a call for some of you towards what that like vocational ministry looks like? Absolutely. God calls and equips. But I love what they said about the Lord changing hearts throughout, is taking that step of faith um, truly in the Lord's care. And what they found is they left businesses and successful careers in our Chicago suburbs and now uh, bought a trailer and are living and rebuilding houses in, uh, uh, that were devastated by this fire is that actually they find over and over, they say, our ministry is because we know of our need, our need, our need, our need for Jesus. Do you all see that? Do you all see that in the call? Yeah, don't let it be a missionary story of like, yay, great for them. 
have it be that, but at the same time, have that speak to you. Whatever that step of faith is, Jesus is assuring you of his care, okay? And if you have trouble thinking about or to say, okay, how has Jesus shown up? Did he give me that, that net of fish moment that uh, I was worried about his care and he sent me out and just blew open the storehouses? Or didn't he? If, if, if you are struggling to think about an example of that this week, I actually just want to give you one. It's a really simple one, but man, is it profound. How do you know of Jesus' love and care for you? Very, very practically. I'm going to say the existence of this church. The existence of the church. The fact that there is uh, none of you who are going to be called to do any of this alone. First of all, yes, with the presence of Jesus Christ, but in that practical and in that deep spiritual familia, as Pastor Eric says, right, of the church. You don't do this Christian thing, this Jesus way thing alone. And what a gift, what an assurance of care from God that is, right? How about a louder amen for that? Yes. So think about that when a step of faith comes and the lie that you are all alone. And the lie that your temptation is something that Jesus himself didn't go through and was already victorious over comes to you, okay? My third and last point, verse 23 to 25 to finish finish our passage today. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So there's this, a lot of it is spoken. But then he follows it up. How do we know that the kingdom of God is going to be here? And healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So my third point we had today, we know that the king has a real kingdom. The king shapes our identity. And from that, we see that he reigns over everything. The king reigns over everything. He went around all of Galilee. He ministered in all settings. He was taught teaching in synagogues, taught masses of people, proclaimed the kingdom, but then healed. And as a result, all kinds of people came to him. And it was those who knew they needed him, church. It wasn't those who said, I am good without Jesus, but he seems like a great guy, or this healing seems cool. It was, no, I need healing. I am spiritually poor. I am suffering from this various disease, this severe pain, demon-possessed, the paralyzed, the blind, the deaf, the spiritually also poor, came to the great healer. That's who came, and that's who actually found healing. So Jesus still does this today, calls true disciples, declares that the kingdom of God is here. He calls the spiritually, the physically poor, and gives assurance in the midst of all of it that he is more than a teacher, 
He is more than this momentary rabbi at one time and one place. He is the good shepherd who leads and cares for his followers. Do you see that? This is what he's asking his disciples for reign over every area. He desires it. His kingdom comes, it shapes, renews, it restores identity, and it shows the world his eternal reign. So church, I want to close today um, with something that the church of Jesus Christ has done for 2,000 years that applies in our passage today of Jesus' reign, of the coming of the King, of His reshaping of our identity, and of remembering that He reigns over everything. Okay? It's communion. So many of you grabbed or were given a, uh, a cup on your way in, if you could take those out now. Communion is a sign that the kingdom of God, it's real, it's here, it's among us. The assurance of his love and care is that Jesus, what we remember here, would give everything out of love for his people and yielding to the will of the Father. And then he would send them out as agents of his kingdom. So if you're here today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I have two options for you today, okay? One, you can just simply set these elements aside. Two, you can see this time as an invitation from Jesus. The king who reigns over everything is calling you today. It is an invitation you can receive and a new identity in him. If you take that option today, please take this communion cup in this time, okay? And so, you can open the top that has the wafer. As Jesus instituted um, communion, he said to his disciples as he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it and do so in remembrance of me, and you may eat. And if you open the cup below, Jesus again reminds his disciples, through his body and his blood, it is the assurance of his love and care, as he called them and sent them out. He said, this is my blood, shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me, and you may drink. Let's pray together as I invite our worship team back up. Father God, we here at your church, at Tri-Village, we both praise you that your kingdom is real. Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Father, to earth. It was the advancing of your kingdom, the breaking out of your kingdom. And Lord, you gave the Holy Spirit, Father, to empower 
your church. We praise you that the kingdom is real. That you are the faithful one to reshape who we are. And that your reign is over everything. And at the same time, we take Jesus' words, Lord, in this uh, communion time to repent, knowing, Lord, what you have sacrificed. You showed a perfect love. And yet we, as your followers, so often fall short in proclaiming, offering, sharing that love to the world. And we repent. But Lord, again, we end in praise because in our repentance, because of Christ, we find forgiveness. We find a righteousness that we could never achieve on our own in him, Lord. So Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. As he is the forever yes and amen of your love, of your care, as you send us out. So do that, Lord. Send us out as your people, as true disciples of you, as fishers of people, as people who trust that in steps of faith you show up. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen.